Well, good morning, Clovis Hills. I don't know if I can live up to that introduction, Pastor Steve. Thank you for, thank you for setting me up for failure. That is awesome, man. Uh, well, good morning. I want to say good morning to all of you who are listening online this morning. Those of you who are listening around the world. Guys, we have people from Malawi, uh, Mozambique, India, Japan, China, uh, all over the country listening to the message this morning. So I just want to say welcome to those of you who are listening. Welcome them as well. That's, uh, that is a, a way to do it. Before we get much further into anything, I do kind of want to just start this morning, and uh, it is going to just be kind of a downtone a little bit, but I uh, want to address something very quickly. Um, there is a young man in our church named Dylan Reed, and his parents, his whole family actually has been part of Clovis Hills for, for many, many years. And Dylan uh, recently married uh, uh, maybe three months, if that. Um, Dylan right now is literally fighting for his life. He is in the hospital. He has been battling cancer for actually a few years now. And it just took a little bit of a turn, and uh, he's in the hospital right now. And so uh, I want to challenge you on two things this morning is uh, if you go to Facebook, if you go to my page, or I think Pastor Sean has it up on his, uh, I'll have it up on Clovis Hill's uh, Facebook page as well. Um, This coming uh, Friday through Sunday, uh, next weekend, uh, November 25th through the 27th at Sierra Vista Mall, there's going to be a blood drive for Dylan Reed. And, uh, you know, we always talk about being the church. Uh, this would be a way to be the church this morning and next weekend. Not only to be praying for the Reed family, but to show up at Sierra Vista Mall and make sure that uh, Dylan has all the blood that he needs and so that he could fight this. So, church, if you'll join me real fast in praying for Dylan, And then uh, go on Facebook and check that out. And if you are able to get there, um, that would be a great way to be the church. Let's pray. Father, in moments like this, Lord, we can simply just put Dylan, his uh, new wife, family, Lord, at your feet. Father, we pray that you would be God and just heal that situation, Lord. Heal Darren. Father, we pray uh, that his young wife would be just covered in your grace and mercy this morning. Father, it is a difficult situation. Father, we pray for Dylan's Family, as they are watching their son battling, God, we pray that your spirit would just move and comfort them. Most of all, Father, we pray that you would go in and do miraculous things in Dylan, that you would show the doctors and staff and everybody who's watching that he serves a God that is capable of healing. That's our prayer, Lord. So as your church, God, we pray that whatever happens, God, you would reign supreme and you would move in that family, God. We love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for doing that. 
just a reminder, keep that, uh, keep that up. Look that up. Put that on your calendar if you can get there. I got some other news that I want to share with you this morning before we get started. And that is, it, it's just super great news. I just, I love sharing this stuff because I love sharing what God is doing in our community and doing through the life and people of Clovis Hills and serving. And that was uh, Michelle Pellerin and her team of about 20 volunteers uh, went to the city of Biola. And uh, they did a lot of footwork uh, beforehand, visiting people there, seeing who needed some food and stuff. But just the other day, they went out to Biola and gave away over 100 turkeys out there, fed over 300 people, supported a local church that was out there. So it wasn't like, here comes Clovis Hills to save the day. It wasn't like that. It was like, we're going to do that in the name of Jesus through this other local church at Biola. Fed over 300 people. Boom. God is moving in our communities, and that is a good thing. Amen, church? Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, guys, we are going to continue on in 2 Samuel this morning, and we're going to continue on our theme of the life of King David and who King David was. And last week, if you did not hear the message from Pastor Shot, he preached a great message on a very difficult subject of moral failure and what happened with King David and Bathsheba and the ramifications of that and, and repentance and what that meant out of, out of the Psalms. And it was just a great message. Go on and listen to that. But because he preached that message last week, I get to preach out of 2 Samuel 15 through 18 this week, which is just about Absalom and, 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 and things like that. So it's not as like awesome as that, you know, that kind of thing. But we're going to do it anyway. And because there's so many chapters that cover the story of Absalom and King David and what was happening in the kingdom of that day, uh, we're going to read some verses in just a minute. But I'm going to kind of just give you a brief description of what was actually happening in the kingdom that day. So I just wanted to give you a kind of, uh, you know, just prep you for that. What was happening was there was a lot of rebellion happening, especially with his oldest firstborn son, Absalom. So we're going to tell you a story of conspiracy, of rebellion, of coups, of revolutions. It's going to be awesome this morning. Uh, and uh, speaking of that, I could identify with rebellion. I grew up and I was kind of a rebellious guy. You know, if, if somebody said, you can't do that, I was like, oh, you watch me. I could do it. You know, I just had that rebellious streak in me. If they say no, I was like, I'm not sure it's no. Let me go explore yes for a little bit. That was just me growing up. I was just naturally rebellious that way. And uh, because I was naturally rebellious that way, the good Lord has granted me a daughter who's exactly like me. I have a seven-year-old daughter, and she is just, she's a little rebel. She's a little rebel, and she wants to know everything, and she just doesn't take yes or no for an answer. I'll give you a perfect example of this. A few months ago, we were praying every night. We say our prayers, and uh, after we said our prayers, this particular night, she looked up at me and she said, Dad, what, what does amen mean? Why do we always say amen after our prayers? And I said, well, babe, th this is why we do, you know, it actually, you know, if you literally translate it, it means so be it. And I started going into, you know, amen and what it means and all this kind of stuff. She just looked at me like I was speaking a different language, which I probably was. And, and she looked at me and she goes, well, I just don't like saying amen. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to say? And she goes, how about we just say yay, God? And I'm like, I can live with that. So every night after our prayers, every single night, it's like a team. We get together, we, we say our prayers, and then she puts our hands like this, and we go, yay, God. And that's how we end our prayers now. I'm cool with that. That's just my little rebel being like, I'm just not going to do what everybody else does. 
I'm cool with that. We're going to find that uh, that Absalom was much like that. He was a rebel. And uh, before we get into that part, though, we are going to read God's Word. And the part that we are going to read is actually in 2 Samuel chapter 18, and it's the end of the story. So we're going to start with the end in mind uh, this morning. And uh, if you are able to, my friend Brennan is going to come out and read from God's Word this morning. So in honor of reading God's Word this morning, will you please stand, if you are able to, and join me in reading of God's Word. Then the Cushite arrived and said, My lord the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, My son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Revolution was in the air. You could feel it. You could sense it. There was rumblings amongst the people and some of his leaders that King David was growing a little bit older and not making such good choices. I can imagine amongst the people of Jerusalem that day what they must have been thinking and what is going on with our kingdom. What, what will happen next? Who, who will take over the throne once King David dies? And there was an uncertainty that people were just leaning on. He wasn't King David of old, the mighty warrior who slayed giants. He was a man who was starting to get questioned by people, his people. And you could imagine what the feeling must have been. When does King David step down or does he step down? And one person who took advantage of that was his oldest son, Absalom. See, the Bible describes Absalom as a a man who is more handsome than anybody else in the kingdom. He had all the physical characteristics to be king, someone people could be proud of. And he was a leader. He was able to rally people. He was charismatic, and people wanted to follow him. And Absalom began to feel that about him, even though Absalom was a very rebellious person, not a godly person. You see, King David's throne was established because King David had a heart of God humble spirit, a man after God's own heart. But Absalom was not like King David in that. In fact, Absalom, years before, killed one of his brothers, justly or unjustly, it could be argued. You see, his brother Amnon actually did some very horrific things to their sister, and Absalom took it upon himself to go kill him. And because he killed him, he was not in Jerusalem. In fact, he would ran from Jerusalem thinking that King David, his father, would not approve of that. And so he spent time in exile outside of Jerusalem. And one day, Joab, a servant of King David, came to King David and said, your son Absalom has been gone from Jerusalem for several years. It's about time he comes home. And King David agreed. 
And so Absalom comes to the city of Jerusalem. But even in the city, while he was in the city, he did not get to see King David. Although they were in the same city, they still remained far apart, father and son, king, and the one who possibly could take over the throne once King David died. It was an awkward situation. You see, I think King David forgot one of the basic rules, and that is this, that rules without relationship equal rebellion, right? Rules without relationship equal rebellion. And it's certainly true for us as well. And King David didn't see Absalom for the longest time. And you can only imagine that Absalom began to build up resentment, began to build up rebellion in his heart. And perhaps he heard the whispers around of revolution. Maybe we need a new king. Maybe this king is unfit now. And he began to believe that in his heart. And rebellion began to set in. So one day, Joab convinces King David to, to see his son Absalom. And he does. And, and Absalom comes to the palace and meets with King David. But not much happened. You see, distance had grew those two apart. And they didn't talk about much. King David just kind of saw Absalom. And that was about it. And you can imagine the frustration that must have sat in as Absalom walked away from the palace that day saying, oh, I could show King David. I could be a better king. I'll show King David. I was made for this job. I want to remind you, Absalom was not anointed. Absalom was not visited by any angels or heard the, the voice of the Lord saying, you are the next king. He just felt it in himself to say, I could be the next king. Rebellion set in and revolution was in the air. And he began to believe himself as he told himself these lies. And so what Absalom did was this. For the next three years, what Absalom did was begin to win the hearts of the people. He would go to the palace and he would stand outside. He would stand on a road leading up to the palace and he would stand there. And as people would come to see King David, he would catch them before they would go into the gates. And he would say, are you coming to see King David? Well, yes, I am. What are you coming to see the king about? Well, I have to talk to him. I need his wisdom. And Absalom would say, well, King David has given me the authority to speak with you. And I will give you the wisdom. And some others would come and I, I have a need and King David could help me with my need and Absalom would stop him from seeing the king and say, I could help you with the, the need. I could help you do that. And what Absalom was doing for three years every single day was establishing a relationship with the people of Jerusalem. He was winning the hearts of the people because it wasn't King David who was blessing him, it was now Absalom who was blessing him. And it went on for three years and he won the hearts of the people. And then he began to win the hearts of David's own generals and commanders. I can only imagine what Absalom was telling him. He would gather the commanders and, and I can only imagine him saying, hey, you know who's gonna be king next, right? You know the writing's on the wall. 
The old guy might be losing it a little bit. He's getting old. Who do you think is going to sit on the throne next? And slowly, he was beginning to win the hearts of the commanders to the point where the vast majority of them and the people were ready to fight for Absalom. And three years went by and Absalom told the people, there's going to come a day that you're going to hear a noise in all of Jerusalem. And when you hear this noise in Jerusalem, the revolution is on. The revolt is on. It's going to be a coup. And we're going to overthrow the king. And we're going to pursue him. And we're going to kill him. And I am going to be the new king. I want to remind you that the Lord did not anoint him. The Lord did not speak to him. It was within himself that he felt he was ready to be king. And that day came, that day came where the noise went out through all of Jerusalem and the people knew the revolt was on and the generals gathered together to pursue King David and to kill him so that Absalom could take the throne. And David, King David knew this was happening. King David knew that his son Absalom was in rebellion and was gonna try to take the throne And instead of King David trying to to gather all the people and to fight back, David said, maybe he should have the throne. I don't know if I got a fight in me anymore. I don't know if I could fight against my son. And And the few generals that he had left and the few people that he had left said, King David, this is not right. He's gonna steal your throne and kill you. You need to fight back. Perhaps if the people see you, they will rally against you. And King David said, I I don't have it in me. I'm going to flee the city. And so that's what he did. As Absalom's armies were pursuing him, he fled the city and went out with the few generals and people that he had. And the people gathered around David and said, let us go fight on your behalf. Can we at least do that? And King David agreed. And it so happened that as the battle was raging for the very throne of Israel, tell me this is not God. Absalom was going on, riding on a donkey through a forest, a a wooded area. And the Bible says as he was riding on a donkey through that area, that he got caught up in some of the brush that was happening, some of the trees that were happening, and his donkey kept going, but he didn't, and he was hanging there for some trees, and he was stuck. Is that not God or what? And as Absalom hung there from the trees, the Bible says that Joab and some of David's people came across Absalom and said, ah, this is the moment we are waiting for. Look at Absalom, he is defenseless. We could take him down and save the throne. And that's what they did. They drew their swords and killed Absalom in that moment. And Absalom was dead. Revolt over. No revolution. King David's throne was safe. They went back to King David. And they said, King David, we got some great news. The kingdom is yours. The revolt is over. No more need to worry about your throne. And then we hear what Brennan just read. King David asked, the first question King David asked was, what about my son Absalom? Where is he? He said, what? King, I just told you the revolt is over. It's done. Absalom is dead. You have your throne. And instead of celebrating like a victorious king, 
David began to weep. He said, you don't understand. I wish I would have died instead of Absalom. He could have this throne. He could have this kingdom. My son is dead. And he began to mourn and weep for his son. See, David realized at that point in his life that the relationship between him and his son was broken. And he just wanted a chance to have a relationship with his son. Even if it cost him the throne, he was willing to give it up. And he was so sad and distraught because his son Absalom was dead. And that's where we're at in the story of David and his kingdom. Weeping over a son who was rebellious, crying for a son that he really had no relationship with. And I can only imagine the guilt that he must have been feeling because he didn't have that relationship with his son. And he said, I'll give up the kingdom. I'll give up the throne if I could just have that relationship. And I began to wonder as I was preparing this week and as I was thinking through this week, I was thinking to myself, how does that translate? How does that relate to us? And it hit me. So many of us, believers, Christians, Christ followers, who've accepted Jesus not only as Savior, but has accepted him as Lord, oftentimes make the same mistake that Absalom makes. And we want Jesus to get off the throne of our lives. And we want to firmly plant ourselves right on the throne. Sometimes it's, it's not even very obvious. And sometimes it's only parts of us. How many of you guys, like myself, have, have ever said, Lord, you can have all of this, but, but I just want to hold on to this one piece. You can be Lord of everything, except for this one little area. Can I just have that, God? And it's so easy to fall into that trap. It's so easy to be an Absalom who says, you know, Lord, I, I know you're on the throne, but, but I think I could do it a little bit better. So let me get on that throne for just a little bit. I think I could get it from here. And I want to tell you a story this morning, a personal story, where I absolutely did this exact thing where I told God, thank you for taking me this far. Thank you for being the Lord, but I got it from here. About six years ago, me and my wife and kids, we were down in L.A., and things were great. Things were great. Working with church planners, and I'd planted a church down there, and I was at a tiny little church in Southern California called Saddleback, and just, it was good, it was good. But God told me, he said, I got something else for you, and I began to grow in my heart that maybe God had something else for me. And I began to pray and say, God, you know, I told you years ago, I'll go wherever you want me to go, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I mean that still. And so just reveal to me, tell me, what, what do you want for me? And through prayer and through the word of God, it, it dawned on me, and working with some other individuals that God wanted us to work with church planters and plant churches and see cities, you know, revived because of church planning and see people come to Christ. And, 
And I was all excited for that. I'm like, Lord, I'm your man. I love this stuff. I love new adventures. In fact, any staff member around here, ask Pastor Steve, if things get too like quiet and normal around here, I get fidgety. I'm just that kind of guy. I'm like, man, the status quo doesn't work. I like to kind of mix things up. And that was what was happening. I wanted to mix things up. And the Lord is like, I'm going to release you to do that. And so we had this grand vision. And God gave us this grand vision of planting churches. And the way that he wanted us to plant churches was this. And I know it sounds crazy, but just follow me on the story. Because it was crazy to me too when God said it. It's totally crazy to me. He says, I want you to start a restaurant where you could go into cities and open this restaurant and use it as a way to connect with your city and people around your city, the very people you're trying to reach. They'll come and eat at your restaurant and you'll get to know them and you'll serve them and you can have Bible studies there. And it was great. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome, Lord. This is the kind of stuff I love. I'm ready for the challenge, you know. And I remember talking to people and, and you got any restaurant experience? They're all, no, to you? And I'm like, no. And I remember going home and telling my wife, I think God wants us to go, you know, and, and open this restaurant as a model for church planning and going into cities and it's going to be great. And I said, by the way, you know, back in your way past, do you have any restaurant experience? She says, no. And I said, I don't either. Isn't this awesome? And I'll tell you this, church, the only reason why I came to Clovis, I wish I could tell you, is some supernatural spiritual experience where the Lord just said, Scott, I am sending you to Clovis. To, well, that might have been Darth Vader. But <laughs> the only reason I came to Clovis was because my parents lived here and I needed babysitting. <laughs> it wasn't some supernatural experience. I said, Lord, if we're going to do this, I need help because I got young kids and I need babysitting. My mom and dad moved up to Clovis about seven years ago. That's where we're going. And I want to tell you, church, at this point in the story, God was firmly planted on the throne, firmly planted on the throne. I was like, Lord, I am going. We sold everything. I kid you not. We cashed in retirement accounts. We sold everything and we came up here strictly on faith. And man, God was on the throne. He was on the throne, firmly planted, and it was beautiful. And we got up here, and we rented this tiny little house, and, and we were ready to go. This new journey, excited. We're going to open up a restaurant. And I remember thinking to myself at times, God, are you sure you want me to do this? I'm not a restaurateur. Is that what, how you say it? See, I still don't know how to say it. A restaurant, uh, I can't even say it. A owner of a restaurant. I'm not that. I'm a pastor. I don't know what I'm doing. And I want to tell you sometimes when you're following the will of God, when you are firmly, when God is firmly planted on the throne and you are following the will of God, more often than not, God is going to challenge you to do things that you have no idea how you're going to do them. You know why? Because if you could do them, then you might be tempted to steal the glory and credit from God. If God's calling you to do something this morning and you're freaking out because you don't know how it's going to get done, you probably are right in the center of the will of God. Because God calls us to things and he wants the glory for them, not us. And I'm telling you, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea, no experience in the restaurant business. But we were like, yes, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. God is firmly on the throne. And then a harsh reality sat in. I have to start Step one to opening a restaurant. If 
find a location, find a place to open this restaurant. And I remember in July, just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pound the pavement. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to call people. I'm going to talk to people. We're going to find this. No problem. God has ordained this. God has called us to do it. It should just be a matter of time before we just get that place, that perfect place. And I remember driving around the city, looking at places. And there's a place right down the street from my house, literally a 30-second drive from my house. It's a little strip mall right on the corner of Herndon and, Clo- uh, Herndon and Armstrong. And it's a little strip mall there. And I remember driving by it one day. And so I talked to some people who've lived in the area for a long time, my brother and some others. And I said, hey, what, what about that little strip mall right on the corner of Armstrong and Herndon? How's that place? And every single person I talked to said, don't go there. Don't do it. It's a dead strip mall. Nobody goes there. And then I said, well, there's a place there where a restaurant used to be. Yeah, don't go there either. That's a restaurant killer. There's been three restaurants in two years there. It kills restaurants. Don't go there. So I was like, man, I ain't going there. Okay, good advice. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm listening to your advice. I ain't going there. So I remember driving the streets, talking with people, visiting places, and then it just continued to go on and on and on. I wasn't finding a place. I wasn't finding anywhere. I was beginning so frustrated with the process because not only weeks had gone by, but months had gone by. About two, two and a half months. And I still hadn't found a place to put this restaurant that God had told me to come do, even though I hadn't got any experience in the restaurant business. It started to sound crazy, even in my own mind. I'm like, Lord, did I hear you right? Did I hear this correctly? Am I supposed to do this? I began to doubt the call that God had. I'm like, Lord, how can you bring me up here, have me sell everything, come up here to do this crazy thing, and now you're going to treat me like this? You're going to close every single door that comes into my path, and I can't even find a place? So I woke up one morning, as frustrated as could be. And I said, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go drive the city. I'm so tired. I think I looked at every place in the city but I'm going to go drive this city one more time, Lord. And every time I come across a a strip mall or a place or restaurant can go in, I'm just going to slow down. I'm going to put my hand out. I'm going to say, Lord, is there anything in there for me? And that's what I did. I drove the whole city. It took me better part of a whole day. But I drove the entire city. And every time there came across across a place that maybe I could go in, I slowed down. I just said, God, is there anything in there for me? And I didn't hear anything. The Lord wasn't confirming anything. He wasn't as if he wasn't speaking and leading me in the process anymore. Oh, the people were, the people were telling me, oh, you gotta go to River Park. If you wanna plan to open a restaurant, you gotta be in River Park, or oh, you gotta be down in the Tower District. Ah, that would be a great place to open a restaurant. Downtown, oh, everybody gave me ideas, but I didn't hear anything from God. And I remember that day as I was driving through the city, and I just, God, is there anything in there for me? I drove better part of a day, and I didn't hear anything, and I was upset. And I remember coming down Herndon going, God, Are you serious? I am so tired at this point. I am so frustrated at this point. What are you doing? You're trying to teach me a lesson? Good, just teach it to me because I'm tired of learning it right now, Lord. You ever been there? And I came down Herndon and I turned right onto Armstrong because I was going to my house. And as I turned right onto Armstrong, I kid you not, church, as if the Lord just spoke to me in that moment. He said, what about in there? And then as arrogant as can be, 
as arrogant as I was in the moment. And I was so arrogant because I was on the throne and I had long kicked God off the process. It was as if I said, God, thank you for the journey so far. Thank you for getting me here. Thank you for giving me this grand vision. But I got it from here, Lord. You could step aside. And I knew I was firmly planted. You know why? Because I, I was arrogant enough to tell this to God. True story. I said, God, what about there? That's where restaurants go to die. Don't you know that? Have you ever talked that to God like that? As if he doesn't know? <laughs> you know, you don't know God, but that's where restaurants die, you know? That's where I was spiritually, to be honest. And I went home that night and I was laying in my bed. It was at night and the kids were asleep and I was reading just my daily devotions, just kind of reading. I happened to be reading out of Jeremiah. That's where I was when I, you know, in my devotion time. And I was reading Jeremiah and it happened to be the part where post uh, takeover of Jerusalem, like Jerusalem laid in waste. Nebuchadnezzar had come through and took out Jerusalem and Jeremiah was there looking at the ruins of Jerusalem and I happened to be reading that and all of a sudden as I was reading, and I'm not one of these guys who says, oh, the Lord speaks to me all the time and says this, 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 this. I'm not one of those guys. But in this moment as I was reading the scripture, God just impressed upon me and he said this, he said, don't you ever call anything dead that I am part of. It was clear as day. I was like, wow. You're right, Lord. I'm so sorry. And I turned to my wife and I said, babe, I, I think we're supposed to go into that place that's right down the street. You know the place they told us not to go into because it kills restaurants? I think we're supposed to go into that place. And you know what the kicker is? My wife looked right at me and she said, yeah, I've been thinking about that for about three weeks now that that's where we need to go. <laughs> I said, Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> it would have saved the whole this thing, you know? <laughs> and we went into that place. I, the next morning I got up and I, and I called the person and they said, we'll be right there. And they were like there in 10 minutes, probably because they're like, we got a sucker on the line and, and he's going to rip this place. <laughs> Hurry. <laughs> And he opened the door and the place smelled horrible. It was an old Mexican food place. And as we moved things around, we ate like, we found like half-eaten burritos and stuff. I kid you not. It was horrible. It smelled awful. And we just looked at it and said, all right, Lord, this is it. This is it. This is where the dry bones are going to come back to life. And we worked and we opened. And, and all I can say is this, church, that on November 13th, we just celebrated our fifth year of being at that location in that restaurant. Yeah. Oh, there it is. That guy eats there more than me. I'll tell you that right now. Welcome to the world of gout, Pastor Sean. Yeah. A couple years, a year ago, a little over a year ago, the Lord blessed me with a great partner in the business because... I'm, I'm hardly ever there. My wife runs it. My partner, Grant, he's sitting right over there. Grant, wave your hand, man. That's Grant. That's my partner in the business. Yeah. And God just keeps blessing it. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Even to this day, when people come into the restaurant to eat, I'm like, why are you coming here? We don't know what we're doing. I feel like I have this secret from everybody. Like, if you just found out we're not chefs or we're not these great cooks, you, would, you wouldn't come here. You know what I mean? But the Lord just keeps blessing it. And I'm not telling you this story to, 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 for any other reason 
that I'm telling you the life struggle that I went through was real. And I identified the moment that I realized that I was still sitting on the throne and God was not on the throne anymore. I was Absalom and I was sitting there, kicked God off and said, I could take it from here, God. So my question is, I'm wondering this morning, if there's anybody here who are like Absalom, who just says, Lord, I know you're on the throne, but I could take it from here. Will you kindly get up so that I could sit down? It's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Maybe most of us lets God on the throne or most of our being on the throne and maybe there's just parts that we're just holding on to. They're just saying, Lord, I can't give this up. This throne's too comfortable. Maybe we're like Absalom. I want to change gears for just a quick second because Absalom was an individual who was rebellious, who wanted the throne. Sounds a lot like me. But even corporately for just a moment, if we could examine this real quick. As we live in a society and we know what's happening, some people didn't like the results of the election and some people were happy. I don't know what you are and I won't tell you what I am, but that's not my point. We just live in a, in a society that's unstable, that they're fighting for a temporal throne that's not gonna make a difference in eternity anyway. People are angry over a throne that's not even eternal. But we, the church, we, the church, God's people, God's people who declare Jesus as Savior and Lord, we know what the answer to the unrest is. It's found right here in Scripture. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Listen to what it says. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. The Bible doesn't say that if my people would just vote the right way, that I'll come down and heal their land. We have to understand that as a church, as followers of Christ. What it says is, or what it doesn't say is, if those people would humble themselves, if those people would just listen. No, it says, if my people, that's us, that's the church, would humble themselves and pray. If my people would just let me on the throne and let me do my thing and humble themselves, then I will call down from heaven and I will heal their land. And look what it says in verse 15 again. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. He, the one who sits on the throne, the Savior of all, is looking for his church to humble themselves so that he could heal our land. One quick story, and then I'm done. 
I was in Arizona last week. Checked into my hotel last week and everything was great. Got to my room and you guys know that when you go into hotel rooms, they're not the most comfortable place in the world, right? I mean, you know, the, the sheets are kind of rough and you know, you're whatever. It's not home, right? So I checked into my hotel in, in, in Phoenix and uh, laid down on the bed for a quick second. And I was like, oh man, these sheets are they're kind of rough. I, I don't even know if I could get a good night's sleep in this bed. Tell you what, I noticed there was a Walmart right next door to the hotel. So I walked over to Walmart and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil myself for just a quick, just, just this time. I'm going to spoil myself. So I went to Walmart, and I went to the sheet section, and I bought myself some nice, comfortable sheets, you know? I could appreciate a good thread count. You know what I'm saying? I've watched those shows, those investigative shows with the black light, you know, in hotel rooms. I'm like, I ain't going there. I'm buying sheets. So I grabbed the nicest pair of sheets I could find, and I was like, I think I'm going to sleep good tonight. I started to walk out to the checkout counter. And as I walked to the checkout counter, I, I walked through the pillow section. Shouldn't have walked through the pillow section. I'm like, you know, those hotel pillows, they're either too fluffy or too thin. You never could get it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Tracy's like, yeah, I got it, man. So my wife's here, and I just got to confess this. I bought a pillow too. I bought sheets and I bought a pillow. And I'm just like, this is great. This is a great idea. We should do this all the time, you know? Take them home. It'll be great. We can use them still. But I'm going to get a comfortable two nights of sleep while I'm here. And then, pillow in hand, sheets in hand, I walked around the corner. And right on the end cap was these fans. And I was in Phoenix, and it's really hot in Phoenix. And I noticed when I was in the hotel room that it wasn't as cool as I like it at night. And so I didn't know if the air conditioner was really working. And the fans were on sale. And so I'm like, I could use this fan back at home. I'm picking up a fan. So I picked up a fan. Gonna be having a great two nights sleep, man. Bed sheets, pillow, fan, headed toward the exit, man. I'm going, I'm gonna go pay for this stuff. Only to find out that their DVD players were on sale. <laughs> and I was like, I know my buddy in, in Phoenix, he's got like Happy Gilmore, which is like one of my favorite movies of all time. Dude, I'm going to be sitting in my sheets, pillow. I'm going to watch Happy Gilmore, totally on sale. I'm doing it. Got the DVD player. Got the pillows. Got the sheets. Got to add the fan. I am set. Head out. Pay for everything. Everything's looking good. On my way to my hotel room with all this stuff in hand, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I noticed in the hotel room there was a bay window. I, I could call a contractor right now and just have them push that bay window out a little bit more and make it more roomy for me. Okay, you guys know about this time in the story that I'm totally full of it, right? None of that stuff happened. I'm just kidding, man. None of it happened. Some of you are like, but that's a really good idea, Scott. <laughs> but I tell you the story because of this. That why in the world would I go to a Walmart when I'm staying at a hotel for two days and go spend all this money so that I could be totally comforted for the next two days, why would I go spend all this money and energy and time for my comfort for something that is temporal? Why would I do that? But here's the deal, church. So many of us are sitting on the throne of our lives and we spend so much time and energy and money and resources 
to make ourselves comfortable in this life when we know it's temporal. If you're a believer here this morning, you know this is not your final home. In fact, in the span of eternity, this is simply just a speck in eternity. And yet, we spend so much time and energy trying to make ourselves comfortable when we know it's not our home. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Church, what God is calling us to as believers is revolution. But not an overthrowing of the government, an overthrowing of our heart, a heart revolution. Where he's calling his church, he's looking for a group of people who will stand up and say, we are not on the throne. Lord, we need you to be on the throne. And when you're on the throne, you give us our marching orders and we'll go wherever you want us to go and we'll do whatever you want us to do. That's the revolution that God is looking for. So my question is this this morning, church. Are you ready to remove yourself from the throne? Put Jesus back where he rightful place is? And we can't come alongside him and say, I think I got this, Lord, get out and expect God to use his people. So this morning, I just want to do something. As the band comes up, we're going to sing a song called Scandal of Grace. And in the middle of that song, it says, Oh, to be like you, to give all that I have to know you. And I wonder if that's the prayer of our heart this morning. Because that is a prayer that says, I don't want to be on the throne anymore. That's a prayer that says, God, I need you to be on the throne. I'll give everything that I have to know you. Take me where you want to take me. Do with me as you will. So this morning, church, as we sing that song, I'm wondering if we could just have a moment of honesty between us and our Lord and say, am I on the throne, Lord? Is there any part of me that needs to get off the throne and replace you? Because I didn't just take you as Savior, I took you as Lord as well. You're not just an insurance policy for eternity, but you're my king, and you deserve the throne. Let's stop being Absalom and trying to overthrow, and let's have a heart revolution. So this is what I want us to do this morning. Dan's going to sing that song. We're going to do what we always do every Sunday. We're going to stand and we're going to sing because God is worthy of our praises. Amen, church? Yes. But I didn't do this on Saturday night, and I got to be honest with you, I, I think I was rebelling even then while I was up here on Saturday night because I think the Lord has prompted me to do something that we normally don't do, and I ignored it. In first service, we... I listened to him, and it was a blessing, and so I'm going to follow what I believe God is, is saying, and we're not going to do something normal this morning. What we're going to do is this, and prayer team, I hate to put you on the spot. You guys are awesome, though. You know you can handle it, but I'm wondering, prayer team, this morning, if while we're singing the song, you guys could come forward and just be up here available for people to pray. This morning, if you just need someone to pray with over anything, and Maybe you just need to come up and say, will you pray for me because I'm on the throne and I need the Lord back on. Then, then the prayer team is going to be available. So prayer team, can you do that for me? As soon as the song starts, just come up and be available to pray with people. And then I want to challenge you in this. I, I'm actually going to just sit on the end of this stage during this last song because I think there's some of you in this room who, 
who've come to church this morning and realize they've never made Jesus Lord. They've never entered into a relationship with him. And I, and I would love to tell you how to do that. Maybe you're just checking this Jesus thing out, but you know that life is, is not happening the way. And you're looking to Jesus for answers. Well, he's got some. But the first step is entering into a relationship with him. And repenting and just saying, I've been going this way and I've been on the throne of my life, but I need to go this way now and make you Savior and Lord. I would love to talk to you about that. And I'm going to be right here. Just come up and talk to me about it. I would love to do that for you this morning. But this morning, church, our God is such a good God. And we are going to sing his praises right now. And we are just going to surrender and just say, Lord, man, can't be on the throne anymore. I need you to be on the throne. Let's just see what God does amongst his people. Father, you are so good. You are so worthy to be on the throne. Father, even as King David cried because he lost his son, Lord, we know you weep for those of us who are lost and who are dying. We'll spend an eternity away from you. Thank you that your love is relentless like that. And for those of us, Lord, who, who know you as Lord, but currently are just going through a place of rebellion in our own heart right now, God, we pray that you would just move us off the throne, that we would willingly just give it up and just say, Lord, we can't do this. You, you are Lord. You are everything. So we are your people this morning, God, and you are our God, and we're going to sing your praises and just move amongst us, let your spirit roam freely. And speak to our hearts, God. We give you a revolutionary heart this morning. Do amazing things among us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.